Hi, my name is Chris, a postdoc and associated member of ML4Q, and you're listening to ML4Q&A, a show where members from the Matter and Light for Quantum Computing Cluster answer questions about their work in the cluster, their research, and the future of quantum. In today's episode, I'm talking to Julian Schmidt, group leader of the junior research group Quantum Fluids of Light at the University of Bonn. Julian received the ML4Q Independence Grant and more recently an ERC Starting Grant. In 2022, he was awarded the ML4Q Young Investigator Award, honoring his contribution to the cluster's program, which specifically requires the collaboration between different sites. We talk about Bose-Einstein condensates and the differences between the atomic and photonic kind. We recap how Julian got into atomic, molecular and optical physics, also known as AMO. In the AMO community, physics breakthroughs with relatively small teams are still possible. For example, the very first realization of a photonic Bose-Einstein condensate that Julian was a part of. We chat about how optical quantum gases can shed new light on exciting open questions in physics such as grand canonical condensates and more generally the interplay between quantum physics and thermodynamics. It is my pleasure to welcome Julian Schmidt to the ML4 Q&A podcast. Really uh, nice to meet you. We, we have not worked together and only met each other in the context of ML4Q. Yes, yes. So in that sense, it's also a good way uh, um, for me to broaden my, my horizons. So you work on photonic Bose-Einstein condensates. Um, and I think we should maybe first like talk about what is a photon, then what is a Bose-Einstein condensate, and then talk about your work. Does that seem like a plan? Yeah, that seems like a good plan, yeah. So indeed, let's talk about what is a photon. Yeah, first of all, hi, Christian. Yes. Also from my side, it's nice to be here. Um, and uh, yes, let's talk about photons. Um, so essentially, I, I guess the, the low-level explanation of a photon is somehow that it's like the fundamental constituent of light, right? So it's uh, the way we think about light is that it consists of energy packets um, that have uh, energy um, that, that is basically determined by the frequency of, of, of the photon or by, by the wavelength or even more like uh, uh, illustratively speaking, the color of the light. And, um, yeah, such a, we don't really know if you look at the beam of light, for example, coming out of a laser, you don't really know where the photons are uh, because they fluctuate around. Yeah? They have certain photon statistics and photon statistics is a very important aspect in general in our research field also. Um, but yes, they um, basically these beams are con consisting of many, yeah, billions and billions and even more. Or, uh, particles of light, which we call photons. Yeah, and you say you say statistics. It's indeed um, one thing to understand. Like for for normal people, it's always ah well, light consists of these packets, and then uh, it's all easy. But to be honest, in, in as a physicist, you probably have like at least half a year of lectures that explain to you how the statistics of photons work. Because if you put more than one photon together they actually behave quite exotically. So in the end, the concept that light is just made of packets sounds, sounds easy, but the, the reality of photons is actually quite complicated. How do you, how do you think about, about this? Yes, I mean, I guess that's, that's a very um, basic problem that we encounter very often in, in quantum mechanics, right? Uh, quantum mechanics always appears like 
formally speaking, very simple. You have discrete states, discrete energy levels. You can hop from one state to the next state, etc. Mm. But then understanding and interpreting this and what it means rea- really in an experiment uh, is, of course, uh, quite difficult. And for photons, I mean, the, you mentioned statistics. Um, it's a super powerful tool to, for us to actually understand, is this state that we're looking at, the light field, is it actually completely classical or is it completely quantum in some sense? So we just look at essentially, yeah, statistics, fluctuation properties. And um, that's also a very important part in some sense of the development, how we got from the notion, from the name photon to what we do nowadays, quantum optics and using quantum optics even for quantum information science, etc., So statistics um, um, of a single light field is important, but also, of course, of some ensemble. If you you think of a gas of particles, and that's what we do with these Bose-Einstein condensates, um, there you have also statistical distributions that tell you. Yeah, I also also, just find it fascinating. In principle, the photon, of course, in a sense, was, was invented by Einstein around 1905. But the the theory of quantum optics um, then took another about 60 or so years mm. to, to really come to fruition and for people to to um, to get to it. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, it, it's quite nice because uh, it, it almost covers, or maybe even more than a century, if you, if you think about it. So I would always argue, hmm, the first one to, to actually need the photon strictly for, for the, um, for his, explanation of a phenomenon to work was actually Planck because yeah it's also for my immediate work with photon condensates um, the black body uh, radiation spectrum understanding why does the spectrum of the sun or, or a light bulb look uh, as it does um, he, he, he kind of postulated that photons should be energy packets and um, he did not call it a, a photon. photon yeah he also uh, didn't like the photon, I think, at first, or at least he was. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, the first person to think about uh, these light particles was Newton, right? Or mm-hmm. maybe it was not the first, probably was not the first human being to think about light as particles. But uh, he kind of, there was an entire century where people were quite happy of having gotten rid at all of this particle theory. <laughs> You know, there was Huygens, there was... Every, everything seemed to work quite nice. Double-slit experiment, you have interference between waves, all these effects. And then suddenly there's Planck, who kind of needs the photon or the light quantum um, in order to explain the spectrum of the sun, which did not work before. Yeah? The Rayleigh genes theory did not work. There was some... The, the calculations did not work out. There was this UV catastrophe... Um, and, um, yeah, so it was, I guess, controversial even for himself. Yeah. yeah. And it was the start of definitely the start of quantum theory. And it's probably fair to say that studying photons and their behavior is really in a way has, has brought quantum theory forward. Like the community that has done the most to experimentally realize quantum mechanics for a long time was the spectroscopy community, which essentially worked with prismas, lenses, mm. and 
optics and of course to study matter but the the the, the toolkit is the toolkit of optics yes yeah i agree this um um optics is maybe like as a, as a tool has been around for such a long time and has been driving the the exploration of quantum mechanics from from the experimental side I, I agree with you. At first, people were actually mostly interested in understanding how do the atoms look like? What are mm -hmm. the spectral lines? Um, and, and, you know, performing spectroscopy. But I think in the middle of the 20th century, we had like these experiments by Henry Brown Twist, um, where they actually showed our light uh, has fluc certain fluctuation properties. Uh, then the invention of the laser obviously uh, triggered a lot of uh, further uh, development. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, the work with single photons then also, again, was a, was a completely different research field, which I guess uh, started also some, like, I guess the coherent work with single photons and sort of quantum information with photonics is kind of later, right? It's yeah, yeah. Really yeah. 90s, 2000s. Yeah, I mean, the, um, probably the first uh, experiments where there yeah, Bell, 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 yeah, okay, the, the, exactly the, the this violation of Bell's inequality, um, that was of course a milestone. I mean, uh, they received the Nobel Prize recently, right? So it yeah. has been uh, recognized now, uh, also like officially. Um, but also uh, measurements of anti bunching of photons and so on. I think that happened in the seventies, late seventies, eighties uh, during that time. That was, of course, like the first real strong evidence that uh, light really consists of single particles. Everything before fluctuations and so on, um, you can also explain that actually with classical classical fields. Um, but um, with this Bell's inequality uh, violation, it really entered also quantum information science. Yeah. So uh, you would, I think it's fair to say you are, like as a physicist, you work with, Photons and optics. So the toolkit as an experimental physicist that you work with is this toolkit of quantum optics, right? Yes, yes. And so you are you are in this tradition that sort of, um, yeah, has really, like, I mean, it's like a, more than a hundred years of sort of very, very precise building of instruments. And uh, This is uh, the strength of, I mean, we do experiments with photons, uh, but we always see ourselves actually quite close to the, Uh, AMO community, which is uh, atomic molecular and optical physics. Um, and of course, the strength of this community is having atomic physics around for a hundred years. So you have extremely good knowledge of what you're doing. You can control atoms and matter using light. You can confine them, for example, and um, you can cool them. Yeah? You can prepare them in different states, create superposition states. Um, um, things that we know from quantum mechanics textbooks. Um, and yeah, so uh, the experiments that I do are very much in the same same, uh, same breath. So, okay, we talked a little bit about optics and photons. So, but what you guys do is you do Bose-Einstein condensates of photons. So um, let's, let's first start with indeed what is a Bose-Einstein condensate and then then maybe get to the photo get back to the photons yes yeah so the bose einstein condensate essentially is a quantum mechanical um, phase transition 
of the Bose gas. And the Bose gas is a, is a gas that consists of particles which have a very specific property, namely an integer spin. So they are unlike electrons, for example. Electrons, fermions, uh, they have half integer spin. So if you take a gas of, of, of bosons and you put them in a box, um, then um, there has been a prediction again, like a long time ago, a hundred years ago, in the 20s, 1920s, uh, that if you cool them to low enough temperature, uh, these uh, particles that you would classically just consider to be indivi individual uh, particles which move around, uh, they actually become, they smear out. They develop some uh, wave-like nature, what we call the Broglie wavelength. And these wave packets at some point start to overlap. That's at least the intu intuitive picture. Yeah, You cool them further down, the waves become larger and larger, and at some point you cannot really distinguish them anymore. And at that point, when particles become indistinguish uh, indistinguishable, you, um, you, you have to take into account the quantum nature of the system. And um, then um, uh, all the, or let's say a macroscopic fraction of the particles in this gas really goes into the lowest energy state. And they kind of, there's like a phase segregate or separation. You have on the one hand, you have the, um, yeah, the, the classical high temperature or high energy particles. And at the same time, you have a microscopic uh, drop, let's say, of particles in the lowest state. That's why it's called a condensate. Mm -hmm. That's a phase transition. The important feature of the bosons is that if you exchange two of them, the wave function doesn't change, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, sign, uh, the, the sign of the wave function does not change. Um, and um, indeed, it's, it's kind of you can really imagine, like when we write down the wave function, right? You can really imagine that we have to number the particles, but of course, it shouldn't matter how we numbered them because we cannot distinguish them anymore at that point, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the right picture for people to keep in their head? Like you have this soup of particles. Yes, yes, they become, they all uh, have the possibility, uh, They, uh, being bosons, they have the possibilities to all go in the same quantum state. And in, in that regard, they all have the same, num the same set of numbers on them, like yes. the same se set of quantum numbers, which would not be possible with fermions. If yep. I take a Fermi gas, it's not possible because I, can only have one fermion in with the same one. state. Yeah. And the bosons can all be in the same and in the Bose-Einstein condensate they are. That's precisely what happens. Yeah, you get this massive occupation of one state. So actually, ex exactly like in, in preparing, I, I also read a little bit about the history and what, fa what fascinated me a bit was that originally people thought that this was sort of an academic curiosity, but that the Bose-Einstein condensate would most likely never happen. Can you elaborate a bit on, 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 on this? I guess it, it's related also to the history of this effect that uh, you have a, uh, a prediction from um, uh, actually in terms of photons back in the day by, by Bose, mm -hmm. um, who just thought of statistics. Yeah, how can I distribute photons into different boxes? And, um, and then Einstein kind of realized that uh, I can do the same thing for massive particles, atoms in this case and then see uh, that this follows a certain statistical distribution um, that, that undergoes uh, this, this condensation effect. But then, in order to produce such a state, you need extreme conditions. Meaning, if you take an atomic gas, you require extremely low temperatures if you work with dilute gases. Okay, why dilute gases? 
that's what people do in the labs nowadays or what they did for the first realization of a Bose-Einstein condensate. You need a dilute gas because otherwise if you cool it down, it just forms droplets uh, or drops. It, it, it will yeah, really it, it, it form will like a, do the yeah. more classical <laughs> exactly. phase transition of becoming a liquid or a solid. Or, or a solid, exactly. So that's not what you want to do. You want to always keep this in the gas phase um, and actually allow the particles to develop this long um, wave-like nature, yeah? this de Broglie wavelengths that I was talking about in the, in the beginning. Which means they need to be short, uh, slow. They need to be super slow, exactly. You need to cool them down in order to do so. And that was kind of like um, the uh, maybe the, one of the major difficulties of, of producing Bose-Einstein condensate. So this happened 70 years after the prediction. Yeah, So 70 years, so we're talking 1925 to 1995. And um, yeah, you need to produce a gas at approximately 100 nanokelvin. Uh, the problem is... Um, If you just use laser cooling techniques, you cannot get to these low temperatures because each photon that is hitting your atoms will actually heat them at, at the same time. And at some point you cannot go to lower temperatures. And then there had to be like uh, additional cooling methods. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, uh, indeed, the community that makes the Bose-Einstein condensates, I think today probably holds most of the temperature world records. And Right. Like, I mean, yeah, I, think the, I, I work in the solid state and we are happy if we get to milli or Kelvin or maybe a fraction of a milli Kelvin. Mm. And that's sort of the limits that you can that you can reach. Yeah. And here we're talking nano Kelvin or I think even less by now. Right. There are there are experiments where actually tens of pico Kelvins yeah. uh, of, of temperatures are realized. Yes, it's uh, uh, It's, of course, the method that you can use laser beams uh, to direct them at a gas of atoms. And these atoms then emit photons just into free space. And this energy is, uh, is de deduced from the yeah. system. And so, uh, so you, cool it, you cool it down. Uh, yes, it's um, so basically to this end. Yes, it's a very extreme state of matter. It's extremely cold. And maybe that was the reason why people uh, in the first place uh, were arguing, well, that's Never gonna very, that's very academic. That's very uh, far away from any real implementation. Yeah, but exactly. Nonetheless, people tried and succeeded. But um, you actually already in your master and now in your work as a PI, you work on even more special Bose-Einstein condensate, namely those made of photons. So um What is the difference between a Bose-Einstein condensate of photons and a Bose-Einstein condensate made of um, bosonic atoms? Okay, first of all, I don't know whether they are more special than the other Bose-Einstein condensates. But Or at it, least it took <laughs> even longer to realize them, let's say. Yes, uh, people actually uh, never thought about photons uh, being um, like mass massive particles, right? Uh, we know that photons yeah. do not possess a mass. And maybe that's already like uh, indicating the difference uh, between these condensates. So um, what we do using photonic gases and then making them what we call quantum degenerate, so we create condensates out of them, is that we first go into a lower dimension, uh, lower dimensional configuration. We cannot do three-dimensional condensates of photons because, again, coming back to black body radiation, if you cool down, A thermal gas of photons in black body radiation, what happens? You, all the particles, all the they photons, vanish. they disappear, yeah. right? 
So that's that's kind of a fundamental problem. So as I cannot indeed, as you go to zero temperature, your photons just go away. Exactly. There's this yeah. Stefan Boltzmann law that uh, tells you it's uh, you just basically cannot increase the phase space density. Yeah. Um, but in in uh, in our case, we throw away one degree of freedom, so we go from three dimensions to two dimensions, and this. Um, this uh, dimensional crossover um, allows us to assign again a mass to the photons. So this mass just is effectively an energy, right? It's 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 like an energy offset um, that comes from this frozen out dimension. And um, so in that sense, uh, the particles are much lighter, really, uh, as com <laughs> yeah, compared no, to atoms. No yes. pun intended. They are really lighter. Compared to atoms, and um, that has some consequences for the for the experimental parameters where you can observe this condensation effect, namely the critical temperature, which is in our case room temperature. So that's um, of course a tremendous difference. Uh, you have nine orders of magnitude uh, difference between the cold atom samples and our uh, uh, photonic samples. So and um, uh, yeah, this is uh, I would say probably one of the so exactly, we have ingredient one, which was to reduce the dimensionality to to give the photons an effective mass. Mm -hmm. What are the other What are the other difficulties that um, need to be overcome to make the photons more like atoms? Yeah. So the um, well, to make them more like atoms, uh, you definitely want so this Bose-Einstein theory or the Bose-Einstein condensation. That's an equilibrium state of matter. Mm -hmm. right? So you somehow want your system to be in equilibrium in thermal equilibrium and then you encounter problems with photons right um, with atoms i guess everyone can understand very well that if two atoms uh, see each other they will collide or they will uh, they bounce into each other they bounce into each other because they are massive uh, that should somehow there should be some so interaction you can have energy. this picture of an ideal gas of like i don't know ping pong balls in a <laughs> that that fly through a room and bounce into each other in, in yeah, our, yeah exactly yeah but the photons, they don't bounce into each other because they don't see each other. Yes, photons notoriously are known or are known to notori notoriously not interact. Uh, so it's a very difficult endeavor, actually, to make them interact. Uh, very active branch of science, even nowadays as well. Um, but you don't need to make them interact. Yeah, you just need them to thermalize. Yeah. So um, that, again, is inspired a little bit by black body radiation, uh, where you have walls at a certain temperature which interact with your radiation field. Now, just get rid of these walls and replace them with a material. For example, in our case, molecules. These molecules, they also can have very... They can vibrate, they can rotate, they have various uh, configurations uh, in which they can be in. So they can store temperature as well. And if your photons now interact with these molecules uh, via absorption and emission cycles, then you can transfer energy between this bath of molecules onto the photon gas. And in the end, that can implement a thermalization process. And that's the second key ingredient. And so essentially, you do need to choose these molecules and your photons to be a good match, right? Like... Uh, like the, the important thing is that the molecule can absorb a photon and emit a photon. Exactly. So and they have to be of the photon that we are talking about. Yes. Yes. 
But in principle, um, it's it's the the material, the molecules that determine in which frequency range will your system actually operate. Yeah, because it's, I mean, indeed, you have a much more free, like you can in principle tune the frequency of your photons quite freely, but the materials that have the right properties are not as uh, freely choosable. Like you can't, exactly. you, can't, you can't engineer a molecule to have any sort of right, wavelength. Right. So the, 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 the material decides where we work at, uh, one can say that. But uh, you already mentioned that um, we can choose and change the energy of the of the photons. Mm, uh, for that, of course, we have to say that how how we actually contain and how we trap photons, mm -hmm. um, because that determines also their energy. And for this, we use just mirrors, basically. Yeah. Some 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 something that is known in the field as cavities or resonators. So indeed, to make the two D to trap the photons in two D. You have two mirrors and then the photons are trapped in between the two mirrors. Exactly. And and, and the spacing. The uh, spacing needs it, to be small compared to the wavelength. Exactly. Because if it's very large, then you don't freeze out, then you don't make them two-dimensional. Yeah. Really think of it as a photonic pancake, yeah. kind of like sandwiched between two super highly reflecting mirrors, you know, not to lose any photons, etc., to really couple them well to the molecules. And the molecules also sit between these mirrors. So, indeed, imagine a bathroom mirror where you can, uh, you know, uh, have, have these mirrors that you can uh, uh, rotate a little bit. You rotate them such that they face each other. You have the light trapped in between them and there's this die, right? Yeah, and you can see nicely the, the, back, the back of your head. <laughs> yeah. And so with, with these, I mean, I mean, of course, this is uh, uh, the mirrors that you have are quite, Spe like they are specially made and specially coated and the dye is specially chosen and the the uh, you you have maybe some extra lasers that you shoot at this so in in the end of course the setup is not not as simple as the bathroom mirror but the idea is, is not not in the end much more complicated the experiment um, really um, at first sight i would say looks relatively simple but it has as you said a lot of knowledge uh, and and many many or deep insights uh, were required to to optimize uh, the system um, really at the level as you say you really need perfect mirrors you need the right emitter etc um, and uh, that that makes makes it experimentally quite challenging something that is very nice though what i maybe want to add here is I said that the particles are non-interacting particles, mm -hmm. but it's quite nice because in the context of Bose-Einstein condensation, what Einstein and Bose considered in their early work, there were no interactions in these systems. This was just actually, temperature. It was just having the statistical properties of... So basically, it was just about having bosons and having them in equilibrium at a given temperature. They never talked about interactions, um, and so it's a it's a really a tran phase transition that is just driven by quantum statistics. It's it's not driven by any interaction effects, or so of course interaction effects might modify details of it, but uh, at the heart of it, it's just from quantum statistics. So indeed, ah, let's let's now maybe switch gears for a little bit and talk about you because. 
I mean, indeed, the, the way that you got into this was you were part of this first demonstration in the way that we just described um, of a photonic Bose-Einstein condensate in Bonn. And this was um, during your even during your diploma thesis before you started your PhD, right? So, um, I mean, I guess you studied physics in Bonn and Bonn has had a strong quantum optics focus for a long yes, time. Yes, yes. Um, did you choose, um, like, at what point in your in your uh, studies did you start uh, focusing on quantum optics, and uh, how did you choose this this project? Well, I would say that I got into the field of quantum optics already at the start of my master's uh, time, when as soon as I basically uh, really started to understand atomic physics, I guess I was fascinated by it, and. Atomic physics and quantum optics, this is really just very, very close, um, these two fields. And I guess, yes, uh, I mean, the field of photonics and laser physics equally was appealing to me. So I indeed uh, did my, well, it was actually diploma thesis back in the day uh, at, the, at the University of Bonn. And um, this topic was quite fascinating um, because I really liked the idea of lower dimensional quantum gases. I like the physics of Bose-Einstein condensation, which, as you remember, I mean, by the time uh, was like, it was 15 years ago, yeah, the first yeah. realization of a Bose-Einstein condensate. And um, then in, in 2010, we uh, basically, I mean, I was really an, an undergrad student who was lucky enough to be part of this team and, and to learn about the ideas and concepts And of course, when you have a new experiment, like a photon Bose-Einstein condensate, it was actually the first realization of it. Then you have also many additional questions that follow up, like in particular for my PhD, what are the fluctuation properties of these condensates? Is there anything particularly interesting about them? Um, and uh, yeah, that was how I, how I kind of got into Yeah, so you you definitely got in at the at the right time before 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 it started to be cool, let's say. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, I, uh, I, I I guess I did not really uh, realize at the time. <laughs> yes, yes, I was just But lucky. What's fascinating is, I mean, you guys, so you guys wrote this breakthrough papers, and what for me as an outsider to this field, what's fascinating is the team is four people, right? Mm -hmm. And um, um, so this is the. The, the Weitz group in Bonn, I mean, it's it's fascinating to just have a breakthrough paper of something that essentially follows the ideas of Bose and Einstein about a hundred years later, mm -hmm. um, and then have a team of uh, four people to realize this. That to me seems quite special. How how is it that, that um, because it seems like a small team for, for, for a breakthrough paper, right? Yes, I mean, it depends a little bit on which field you're looking at. Uh, we did not require, for example, colleagues to produce samples for us. Mm -hmm. that, or, that already reduces the amount of authors. We did not have theory collaborators on this because in the end, it's ideal both their <laughs> theory. So, so indeed, your, your theory has so, been figured out, had been figured out before. So exactly. In the, um, so in the end, it boils down to... Um, Having really the the creativity, the idea, and I would say the experimental and scientific rigor to really push this 
through such a project. And there, I, th I think, in the end, of course, you you also, even if it's just for people, um, you, you need to, if it's the right for people to do it, uh, then then it can work. Uh, and um, nowadays, our publications, I would say, um, quite often actually have more authors, but um, I would I would not say that it's very unusual uh, in the field of of quantum optics yeah. to have really papers. Often, often the 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 really like sem uh, the seminal papers where some some effect was demonstrated for the first time is often such that you you only have a few authors. Um, I mean, I I agree. Let's say I mean in most papers you have uh, four authors who do the main work and then maybe. Uh, Uh, you know, authors who produce the sample. Like, I, I don't want to minimize the work, but but you have you have people who who grow the material, who, who sort of do um, necessary steps for the mm -hmm. experiment, but who don't maybe perform the experiment sample themselves, and who also didn't design the experiment. So the the team that designs the experiment and measures maybe four people is actually quite usual. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, also uh, we already had that uh, the experiments are not super. Uh, complex in the sense that you always need a team of three, four people to maintain them. Yeah. You can really uh, do this in a team of, of one or two, uh, well, let's say a team of two. Exactly. So, I, I mean, but let's let's then talk about what, what made the breakthrough possible. Like we, we talked about the ingredients. We said we need mirrors, we need the dye, we need some optical table, and we need to be able to actually also image um, our photonic, like what we didn't talk about much yet was that you also need to be able to sort of look at your photon gas, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, like in, in any order you like, what what are the technical, what are the technical challenges and and sort of uh, uh, which, which ones are the ones that you solve in the lab and which ones are the ones where you buy the right things? Um, so. Okay, maybe I, I want to go a little bit away from this original publication because there, in terms of detection, uh, it was pretty straightforward. We just had to do uh, exact, uh, okay. uh, basic, exact, basic imaging. Go to your later PhD work and, and so on, yes. where you did more detailed. Um, um, I mean, uh, the, the challenge at, at some point is that um, we, we already mentioned that the photons, are, although they have a mass in our system, they are still very light particles. In other words, they move extremely quickly. Mm -hmm. So the timescales are very short. Um, if I have a cold atom experiment, I can do things in microseconds to milliseconds. Yeah, yeah. It's actually quite slow in, 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 in a sense. That, that in a the sense, strength, that they, they are quite slowed down. In, that like, is the strength of the cold atom uh, world, uh, that, that you actually can capture all this uh, with, with electronics really but, well. But your setup needs to run for a few days to get the full image of uh, yes. what happens. And it's not always in situ, etc. Et yep. You have to repeat and repeat. So in your, in um, your case, the timescale is... Picosecond timescale? Picosecond to nanosecond, exactly. Um, uh, in other words, uh, it's quite demanding. You need cameras uh, which are very fast. Uh, if you want to see photon dynamics, um, that was important for my uh, PhD, for example. I did Hanbury Brown twist experiments, actually. I was looking for fluctuations of these condensates, and the fluctuation timescale is on the order of a nanosecond. It's yeah. good like this. So what you want is to you want to Measure record yeah. uh, exactly. You want to sample this properly, and um, and, and or look at uh, dynamics. Uh, that was something else that I investigated uh, in my in my work uh, as a PhD student. That I kind of looked at some wave packets oscillating in in the trap um, before it became a BEC, um, and that was 
25 picoseconds, you know, round trip time in a harmonic <laughs> oscillator. So for that, you need a you need a big camera. You need a good camera, and this we cannot build ourselves. No, so of easily. course you have to buy it. So this stuff we really resort to uh, the the manufacturers who can you know what they are doing in that regard. Um, but then, uh, as I said before, the low level stuff, spectroscopy, um, um, optical setups. Um, the dyes you also buy, right? But you choose. We buy uh, we buy these dye molecules as a powder, and then we it's it's our choice. How much do we use of it in terms of concentration? Okay. Which solvent do we do we use? Do we want something that evaporates immediately, or do we want something that is super viscous and uh, will not evaporate in weeks? Ah, so the spectroscopy work is also like let's say you prepare a, like your 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 um, fluid with your dye molecules. I mean, we it? have now our our to go solution yes. which uh, once which you once you find it but exactly. you need it to f like one part of the experiment is you need to find the right yeah. solution yes yes and then you want to characterize it you want to see what is your absor absorption spectrum what is the emission spectrum uh what is because that depends on the solvent that you yeah. use as, as well and you want to know what is the quantum yield this has to be really high we want to always be very close to 100 quantum efficiency which means that photons don't get lost they just get absorbed and emitted but right. they don't disappear right so basically there's just a little bit of energy taken away or added to a photon but it's not uh taken away entirely uh such that's yeah Yes, uh, so... Um, and uh, the mirrors you also buy? Mirrors are um, kind of like a hybrid uh, solution of uh, components are bought. Uh, mm -hmm. Then together with manufacturers, we have a custom design uh, that also allows us now to, to go to more fancy uh, traps or containers, uh, um, uh, cavities, essentially, uh, as, we, as compared to this very early work. Um, yeah, because the key is that you can actually structure, right? You can make structures on the surface of the mirror. Or let's let's call it maybe we can structure the mirror. Oh, you can, yeah, you can structure the mirror. It remains a mirror. Yeah. It, it keeps yeah, yeah. its high reflectivity, but it's really that your cavity becomes transversely, let's say, the, the cavity length varies. Yeah, and so, so essentially you have these photons that are trapped in 2D, But now in this 2D, they actually have an environment like a box or a multiple, like you can, yeah. Lattice type of structures um, uh, or, um, yeah, any kind of like ring shapes or, uh, okay, we, we uh, don't really work with any kind of pictures of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of someone. But, uh, you know, we take, we are interested in, in using these systems to understand uh, Yeah. states of matter that are maybe a bit more complex now uh, we don't yeah. want to just look at a single condensate but maybe like connect 10 of them also in a coherent fashion and then use this to um uh, yeah we, we skipped a bit through your, like we talked that in in principle so you were part of the initial experiment you did your phd exploring this further and um then you did a, a postdoc And now right. you're back as actually a principal investigator. So we're actually talking about like this is your your current passion. You're still working very hard on using the system to explore uh, like uh, new physics. And um, so indeed, we talked about uh, most of the components by now, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's still a lot of creativity you can put into it. Is there um, on the so indeed you can with the, with the right camera, you can in a time resolved way. Um, image the fluctuations of the photons 
is there still a lot of um, extra um, accuracy in time or in um, uh, in space or so that is that you guys can still uh, um, get there or is it more that you want to structure work more with uh, structuring the mirror or uh, uh, work more with changing the dice and, and changing the, the physics of the the system where, where are the where are the ways that you can still explore the system there yes i think um, there there are many ways to explore the system further um, several of them you just named uh, definitely creating and being able to control larger let's say lattice systems uh, coupled systems of these condensates implementing this is a challenge um, because we need to be super precise in putting each of the small micro wells in which the condensates are trapped, you put them, need to put them on resonance. That's a challenge. Uh, this needs to be, um, uh, this is what we are working on at the moment. At the same time, um, of course, exploring new emitter types, uh, new materials, uh, and also possibly nonlinear materials such that we can have photon-photon interactions uh, in the system, so basically bring interactions back. Um, uh, all this is, all these are open frontiers, and uh, we are we are working on 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 various uh, directions there. Do you But already get the photon-photon interaction by just making the um, dilution, uh, the solution more dense? Like just, or what what is the right way to, like I mean, what you need is you need a a, a molecule that. Um, Like you, you never get a direct interaction. So you have a molecule that absorbs one photon, and yes, well, you can you can also think of having a direct interaction if you uh, if you have a nonlinear medium. Uh, let's let's assume that ah, you, yeah, yeah. that But you put uh, on one of the mirrors, you put a little bit of a coating with a material that has a kernel linearity. Yeah. Uh, that basically means if a photon is propagating in this medium and there is a second photon, it changes. Uh, it will change the refractive index, right? And that will change the energy of, of the particles um, at this position. Mm. But of course, you, you can uh, be creative here and also think about uh, the saturation effects. Like I think you were just like um, yeah. alluding to. So you have a photon which hits a molecule and then this molecule is busy, right? It's excited, yeah. so the second photon does not, uh, does not, uh, get, does yeah. not seize. But uh, currently, I mean, our experimental parameters are in a regime where this is not at all uh, the case. Uh, we, there's always a second molecule and yeah, always yeah, a third molecule so, yeah. uh, that can absorb uh, the photons coming in. These would be, for example, what you just mentioned, were, would be some saturation uh, effects. Yeah, w one thing um, in addition that we should mention about, about this work, which I... Uh, Almost, so we, we, we did say in your PhD, indeed, you worked on the statistics of this. And one curious thing about the um, photon Bose-Einstein condensate compared with the atomic Bose-Einstein condensate is that one is in the microcanonical ensemble and you can be in the uh, grand canonical ensemble. Can you elaborate a little bit? <laughs> and maybe we have to explain to our listeners. What, well, don't, you, don't you remember are. your thermodynamics I, 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 and statistical yes. physics uh, textbook? Uh, Yeah. Uh, yes, of course. I, this is a very um, unusual uh, scenario that we can uh, realize here. It's, of course, very interesting because it's difficult in other platforms. It means essentially is your system that is made out of photons, is it isolated from the environment or is it allowed to exchange energy or particles with some reservoir? And 
for cold atoms, I think it's easy to see. This is a system that is uh, in vacuum. There are maybe some thermal atoms in the excited states, which can act as a small reservoir, but this quickly saturates. For us, um, this is a bit dif different because we have photons being in the condensate and at the same time they coexist with molecules. And these molecules can be in, in, in an excited state. And if you now think of having many of these excited state molecules, these act like stored photons in a reservoir that can be retrieved and go into the condensate. And at the same time, the condensate can reduce its number by being absorbed into this reservoir. So uh, this, this coupling, uh, and this is something that is actually written down in every statistics book um, or statistical physics book, uh, you, you will have strong fluctuations. You will have strong number fluctuations in this mode. And that's quite interesting scenario. Imagine you have um, a system consisting of a hundred different modes. Each of them is fluctuating. That's no problem because all of the modes are fluctuating in an uncorrelated way. On total, this system will never show strong fluctuations. But for a BEC, it now becomes very interesting because suddenly you condense and now I have let's say 50 or, or 70 or 80% of the particles in the ground state, which is a single mode, and this thing fluctuates strongly. So I can go even to absolute temperature t equals zero. Okay, yeah. at least theoretically, <laughs> almost. Yeah. Um, and then I have a uh, macroscopic condensate, which still fluctuates. So it's kind of counterintuitive phenomenon because you go to... Uh, yeah, you have quantum zero fluctuations at zero temperature. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, reservoir-induced uh, fluctuations um, in, in particular. And uh, this is something that we were able to uh, observe and, and, and also control during my PhD work. And it's also a very strong asset for f future work. So we are trying to uh, implement and use this for uh, novel studies in more complex lattice-type systems. Yeah, maybe I should exactly. Like you have this very powerful platform where you can explore exotic physics that as we said, had been had not been observed uh, uh, before. Um, but is it that like how do you think of, of do you think of this as as realizing new physics in its own right, or do you also think of it as a quantum simulations platform where you try to imitate another system in a maybe more controlled way because the control that you have is is maybe better than what people have in a solid state. So currently, I would not say that this is really um, um, at, the, at the level of being a, a contester or con, com, competitive um, uh, quantum simulation platform. But uh, you can you, 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 you can use this system to understand uh, other materials, um, and you have novel tuning knobs, and um, let's say much better inside also analysis tools i mean optics has and photonics has great analysis tools imagine you can create a lattice of photon condensates and which you can you know by doing the proper mapping this actually looks a little bit like a system out of many different spins which are coupled now you can start asking yourself the question what happens if i take out one of these condensates i don't allow it to be there or i detune it so i create somehow disorder in a controlled way and i see everything i see the face i see the number of photons um, and uh, this is this is very similar to superfluids in ultra cold atoms or even in solid state physics where you have these xy models 
Um, so I think there's there's a lot of potential uh, for also simulation and and complementary insight um, for yeah. other fields. If you want to now um, uh, have differently structured mirrors, um, how quickly can you change them? What is like how how easily can you can like how easily adaptable is your setup? Because for example, um, optical lattices are like one of the big simulator platforms, right? And they are quite perfect. But if somebody wants to go from a lattice with triangles, well, to, a, to from triangular to a square lattice, that's like two PhD students. Uh, Uh, and yes, uh, yes. In, in, in <laughs> sort of in time and and money. Good, good PhD students. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. How, how is it for how is it for for you guys? Like how 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 much work is it to adapt um, these things in the system? I would say the the flexibility of our approach to realize uh, lattices or any kind of structures in the cavities are. Uh, the flexibility is very high so we can choose to make instead of a regular lattice as you would create with interfering laser beams we can choose to make uh, alternating hoppings uh, or variable hoppings or um, place uh, the condensates at different transverse positions on our cavity mirror there we are extremely flexible um, and uh, since we do this lithography method basically in-house we just go from one lab where we produce the mirror to the next lab where we put this mirror into our cavity and assemble the whole thing, uh, the ways of producing it, uh, is, it's, it's fairly fast. So like yeah. we weeks rather than... Uh, yeah, I would say an hour, yeah. something like this. You take your mirror, you put it in there, you scan your laser beam, you write a structure, um, some lattice type wow, structure. Okay. You take this mirror out, you put it in your microcavity system, you and assemble it. And your measurements are even also very quick, right? Like you have, of course, you have a repetition rate of um, 100 or 200 hertz or so. Uh, and that during that time, you get uh, long one microsecond of photon evolution. So where you can do all the stuff. So yeah, you have uh, the data rates are incredibly high. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite nice. Um, but... Um, so essentially, if somebody comes up with the right idea, in principle, it can be done in in a, in a time scale of, of of a month or two, including everything. Like, yeah, of course, uh, the devil is in the, in the detail. Uh, because you always it, have your, to your do initial some idea is usually not completely yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or something is not properly working. Um, um, that happens, uh, of course, most of the time, and that's also what is part of of doing research, I guess. Um, there are certainly also some limitations um, that, of course, I, I said, I told you, it's very flexible, this approach, but uh, we cannot easily, for example, change a potential, for example, on the timescale of the photons, right? No, the no, photons, that, that, exactly. You they, have to work with the static. Uh, yes. Currently, you have to work. But, but even there, uh, there's room, again, for novel uh, ideas and uh, novel experiments. And I'm pretty sure also there we will see in the future tools to be able to drive condensates on these timescales or to quickly turn on the coherent hopping and turn it off again. Uh, so um, th this can this can be done, but again, then we are more on the timescale of a full PhD. I yeah, say. I yeah. see. So whenever you explore something new, it's... Uh, but anyway, it's, it's so it's, it's really a new fascinating platform. And the other thing is in Bonn, like the community of people 
doing what you are currently doing is not very large, right? Like, so you're, you're not like hounded by the competition to, uh, to get to the next uh, result because the, the, this, this sort of photonics that you do is, is not a big, uh, yeah. Yes. Well, there's, uh, there is not a di the direct competition for sure in Bonn. Uh, there's no direct competition anyway, but overall the entire, uh, research landscape, there are, um, Well, a handful of groups uh, working with these systems and exploring uh, the, the new new things uh, in the, in this matter, but there's not too much immediate pressure. We need to be the first to do this now, um, but we have quite a lot of overlap with also the fields of atomic physics. Oh, we we learn a lot from atomic uh, or cold gas physics, but the other way around, maybe they also learn uh, some things from us. And it's very similar with the field of exciton polaritons, which is very close to solid-state physics. Yeah? yeah. All right. Last personal question: When you learned quantum mechanics, did you? Well, no. Oh yeah. When you learned, when you studied physics, did you prefer quantum mechanics or statistical physics? Was or or was it really both? That. Mm, well, it depends on the point of time. I have to say, I would say, looking back, I I would. Uh, say that quantum mechanics is pretty strong and pretty good and pretty cool but at the time I, that I was learning it I think I did not really get the message of it that was why I was so happy about atomic physics because atomic physics <laughs> gave me a reason why we need quantum mechanics oh, yeah. and, and uh, but and, and, and statistical physics I'm always amazed by how much people knew already a hundred years Or 150 years ago, I mean Boltzmann, what 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 he calculated, all these yeah. things. It's it's and there are so many things to also still look for in statistical physics. Um, so I find it I also both. Find uh, maybe it's not even comparable. It's both in its own right. Uh, yeah, excellent or nice disciplines uh, or subdisciplines. Yeah. So thanks a lot for for coming on the podcast and uh, thanks for having me.